Well, we are continuing in our series uh, in Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. A little bit of context. Uh, Paul, the apostle who wrote, responsible for roughly two-thirds of the New Testament, um, would go about his ministry uh, starting churches. Paul had been a, um, um, a Pharisee, which was the highest order of rabbi in Israel, and, and uh, was so committed to God's law that uh, when Jesus was purportedly rose from the dead and, and Christianity was springing up, he fought it. You, you, you may know this. Like he was utterly against Christianity and was, was demonizing the church. And, and he even oversaw the stoning of a deacon in the church named Stephen. But Paul had this miraculous event take place in his life where God in the person of Jesus Christ came to him, revealed himself to him, uh, blinded him and called him to be an apostle, and then he became the apostle to the Gentile world, to the non-Jewish non, uh, uh, part of the world, the Roman Empire. Paul gave literally his life in places like Turkey, uh, sharing the gospel, establishing churches, and seeing them flourish, and then, uh, and then he would move on to another area and start another church. Philippi had been one of those places, and he's writing them. He loves them. He loves this church. He's in jail for the gospel uh, under house arrest and, and maybe facing execution. Um, and so uh, this is what he writes towards the end of this letter as he's encouraging them and bringing conclusion to his letter. And he says this in verses eight through nine of chapter four. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, uh, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. So our, the big idea today that I want us to see is this, that what you set your mind on actually sets the direction of your life that what we set our heart and our mind on, what, what we bring before us routinely in our lives, our minds, our hearts, our will, it sets us on a course, sets us on a direction. And here's why this is true. We are what we love. That's the title of a great book by James K. A. Smith. We are what we love. And I'd stop there and, and think about that for a minute. You are, in essence, what you love. We are what we love, and we naturally think about what we love. Have, have you noticed that? Like, whatever you're passionate about, whatever you truly love in life, whatever you're, you know, giving your heart over is what your mind naturally goes to all the time. You don't have to tell Becky Brown to think about our three boys and our daughter-in-law. She just does it all the time. <laughs> Why? Because she loves them. And, and she can't stop but thinking about them and praying for them and having concern for them and celebrating with them and, and wanting to hear stories about what's going on in their lives. It's true for all of us. Whether it's a hobby, a person, a place, a thing, whatever you love, whatever you're passionate about, we bring those things naturally before our minds and our hearts. And so our minds and our hearts are captivated by the things we love and so it's important, it's critically important to think about what we think about. It's critically important to think about what we think about. 
because what we think about points us to what we love. And what we love is who we were becoming, and that is so important. So another wrinkle to think about. This is the kind of things I would say to my kids growing up. Because uh, it's so important to think about what the people who are influencing the most are thinking about. So think about this. So it, 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 the company you keep also shapes who you are, does it not? One of my sons recently was talking about that as one of his friends uh, started to kind of like go astray in a way. And, and he was concerned for this friend. And it's like, yeah, this person has a different set of friends than they used to have. And it's really shaped them. I'm like, yes, you're actually getting what I told you a thousand times. It's important to think about what the people who are influencing the most in our lives, what they're thinking about. What do they think about? What do they promote? What do they celebrate? And not just our friends either. Who's having the most influence on you? You know, with social media and Twitter and podcasts, and there, we have an enormous amount of influence in our life all over. Not just our friends, the authors, the podcasters, the political commentators, what are they celebrating? What are they afraid of? What are they concerned about? What are they thinking about? And what are they bringing before your mind and your heart? And are those things moving you to love God more and to love your neighbor more. Last week, we saw this amazing promise that Paul gave us, and he tied it to three spiritual practices. Joy. He said to rejoice always. Again, I will say rejoice. No matter what life circumstances and no matter whether you're a natural optimist or not, rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice the discipline of rejoicing. Next, the discipline, he said, of practicing the reality that the Lord is at hand, the very real presence of God in our life. And finally, Paul calls us to prayer. Instead of worry and anxiety, to pray. And inherent in that passage was a promise that went along with those three disciplines, that if you do those things, he says this, the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And today, Paul is calling us to another set of disciplines in verse 8. And then in verse 9, he gives a similar promise. Let's, let's read uh, verse 9. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. And, and think about how bold this is and beautiful also. Like a father or a mother to their children saying, like, imitate me, Right? That's kind of what parenting is, by the way, and you better be careful, like, right? I mean, because your children are going to imitate you whether you know it or not. So hopefully in good ways, Paul is calling them, Paul is definitely in good ways calling them as a father of the faith to say, be like me, watch me, do what I do. And he says, as you practice these things, the God of peace will be with you. In, in last week's verses, and remember, it's one letter all tied together, meant to be written as a whole, you know, just, it's just going to flow. But in last week's passage, he said, the peace of God will be with you. And now he says, the God of peace will be with you. And I, I did a quick search, and, and Paul often uses this phrase, the God of peace, the God of shalom. And, and he's making this promise again, that if you practice these things, the God of peace will be with you. Practice, practice these things. 
my grandparents in their, their day, and you know, I'm old enough to mean that my grandparents were, were really old, like you know, born in the, the turn of the century. And they, you did not have to tell that generation to practice things. You did not have to call them to be tough. You did not have to call them to discipline or to finish their food or, or to be clean up the house. Like these were disciplined people, right? And, and I think about just even the home that my grandparents lived in in Evansville, Indiana. They had a, a garage because my, my um, grandfather was a, was a mechanic and a two-section two little garage and a gas station. And then their house was literally next door. No, no quick trip or Circle K, right? And this was literally their home and it had a gas station attached to the home in, in a garage. And, and they worked from sunrise to sundown and they lived in a house that was much smaller with a family of four than that little section right over there. You didn't have to call that group of people to be disciplined or tough, right, or to practice things. They, they did it. In our culture, in our day and age, though, we need a reminder that to make progress in life requires hard work and practice. We do. We are given over to pleasure at this time in our life. We are, all of us. All of us. And yet we want the easy way. Weight loss, <laughs> it is a simple formula. You just gotta burn more calories than cons you consume. It's so simple, but it is not easy, right? It's hard, in fact. You have to say no to so many things and you gotta work out. You have to be disciplined. A good marriage, falling in love comes pretty easy. Being infatuated with someone, that's just kinda what the heart does. Being married to someone for decades, that requires work, that requires discipline, that requires sacrifice and dying to yourself. It's hard. Education, it's getting easier these days to turn in an assignment that looks good and sounds good. With ChatGPT, you can put together an extraordinary, uh, an extraordinary essay and, and your professor may not even catch it, but that's easy, but that's not an education. You can even get really good grades and not necessarily have a good education, right? I mean, education is hard work. It requires hard work. Learning to play an instrument. We see our musicians up here on Sunday just like having this freedom on a guitar or a keyboard or whatever their instrument is. And it's just they have freedom all over the instrument. And the reason the freedom has come because they have disciplined themselves to know how to play their musical instrument. And so they're therefore free. But that came through hours and hours of practice and passion. Same with sports. Carter, we have, a, we have three sons, Jacob, Carter, and Zach. And, and Carter is um, kind of a freaky athlete. Um, he just has unbelievable hand-eye coordination. He's just extremely athletic. And really, no matter what he does, he, he flourishes in. He played college baseball for a while. Um, and, and so he recently decided to pick up tennis. And uh, because he's such a great athlete, he immediately started beating all of his friend group. Like they just, no one could compete, even kids that played in high school. He's beating them like handily. And, and he's feeling pretty good about himself as he should. But then he started playing uh, people that are on the tennis team at his college. <laughs> and he can't beat them, but he loves playing with them. Because here's the thing, natural ability will get you so far. If you're just a freaky athlete, you can probably beat most people, but then you're gonna meet other people that are just as gifted as you, but check it out. They've been playing and disciplining themselves their whole life. And so you have no chance against them because of the work that they've put in. So godliness though, when we think of godliness and especially in a church like ours, which is so gospel centered and we are so grace oriented. And so this is, 
This is a message that we need to hear. As we preach grace, we also need to hear a call to godliness. And that's what Paul is doing today. And by the way, the reason we believe so profoundly in grace is because of Brother Paul, but he is showing us that when we're saved by grace, we are, we're saved for a purpose, and that is to become more like Jesus. Godliness also requires practice, but I want to be zapped into holiness, don't you? I want, I want a spell to be cast over me by Harry Potter or somebody where I just become Jesus-like, you know, just immediately. We want peace without praying, and we want God's presence without perseverance, but that's, that's not how it comes. Paul says, look, as you do these things, as you pray, as you practice joy, as you practice the real presence of God, and as you, as you think about these things, then the God of peace will be experienced by you. J.I. Packer says this, as Christ died in order that we may be justified, so we are justified in order that we may be sanctified and made holy. We have about 30 guys from church right now camping together up north. Um, they're up near Happy Jack. Apparently it's going really well. They're having a great time. And they, many, many people asked me to go on this trip. And I used to like camping in tents up north. I liked it a whole lot. And then I discovered camping in cabins. You know, like camping with a, a house <laughs> is a great way to camp, or at least an RV. And so, uh, yeah, so I kind of quit doing that, but I had other reasons why I couldn't go. Uh, Kevin DeYoung is a pastor and theologian, and he has a book, and, and in his book he says this. He describes camping in tents like this. Packing up the van like Noah's Ark and driving to a mosquito-infested campground where you reconstitute an inconvenient version of your kitchen and bedroom just doesn't make sense. Camping is a vacation that is normal life, only much harder. <laughs> I say, amen. And then Jim Gaffigan, my favorite comedian, says, you ever notice that when someone uses the term happy camper, uh, they're being sarcastic? <laughs> he is not a happy camper. They should just call that person a camper. <laughs> Kevin DeYoung then makes his point, and it's related to holiness. Is it possible that you look at holiness like I look at camping. It's fine for other people. You sort of respect those who make their lives harder than they have to be, but it's not really your thing. You figure that since you're saved by grace, holiness is not required of you, and frankly, your life seems fine without it. And so, if that's you this morning, listen to this challenge. This is the wrong way to understand grace because the grace of Jesus brings life change not perfectly in this life, not even in Paul's life. But God has saved us for a purpose. God is holy, and he says, be holy as I am holy, both throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. And none of us, none of us are perfect in this. But he's calling us, he's calling us to live the life that Jesus lived, not perfectly, but then in calling us into his way of life. Positional holiness leads to progressive holiness. All the time we talk about how in Jesus Christ, you have the righteousness of Christ. You are saved not by your works, but by grace alone through faith alone. And that is absolutely beautifully true, but it's not through a grace that is alone, meaning it doesn't leave us in our selfish state that we are. Jesus is calling us into his way of life. Justification leads to sanctification. Now back to our, our passage this morning. What you set your mind on sets the direction of your life. 
If you set your mind on anger, guess what? You're going to be an angry person. If you set your mind on lust, you're going to be a lustful person. If you set your mind on the one who is love, on Jesus Christ, you're going to become more like Jesus. Patient, forgiving, righteous. And Paul says in verse 8 of our passage today, he says this. Finally, again, he's saying, imitate me, basically. And he says, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, think about those things. And then in verse 8, He's given us the, this list, you know, uh, honorable, just, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise. Focus your heart and your mind on those. It reminds me of Colossians 3, too. I, I love Paul's letter to Colossians. And, and in chapter 3, he says this, set your mind on things that are above, not on earthly things. And he warns that the, the heart that is set on earthly things, there's, there's God is coming against those things. And he so beautifully warns us uh, and, and then commends to us what it means to set your heart on things above instead of the things of earth. He starts, though, with a list that defines what is worldly or earthly. And, and when, I, when I say worldly and earthly, would you please hear this is not the material world. God created the material world. God loves the world. God loves the earth. He calls the material world good as he creates it. So it's not to say that the stuff of earth is what's the problem. It is our hearts and the brokenness and fallenness and selfishness within that, that is the problem. But he says this, sexual, things like this is, is setting your minds on these things is what would be earthly or of the flesh. Sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desires, covetousness, which is to want something or someone that is not yours, anger, wrath. What? Like, I know, oh, sexual immorality. Yes, of course. Got that. That We know that's bad. But then he gets covetousness, wanting other people's stuff. Uh, anger? That's on the list with stuff like sexual immorality? Wrath, malice, slander. <laughs> obscene talk and lying to one another. And it, we have a tendency to focus on sort of the first half of that list, but you should be kind of astounded at the second half of that list and humbled by it, actually, all of us. That the way we treat one another, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, and lying to one another are linked together with these other things that are more obvious to us that are obviously not in God's will. He says, in these things you once walked, but now you must put them all away. And then in, in the later part of chapter 3 of Colossians, he says, set your minds and your hearts on these types of things, though. And I want to read it to you, and I'm not going to put it up on the screen. I just want you to kind of hear it and meditate on it and fo literally focus your heart on the kind of life Jesus is joyfully calling us to live. Put on then, so putting off anger, wrath, sexual immorality, all these things, putting these things off, but then putting on, he says, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, that's you, that's who you are. Put these things on, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, 
bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must also forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. How beautiful. God is calling us to these things. Brothers and sisters, God is calling us. That is the life we are to be drawn into. These are the things that our hearts and minds should be increasingly setting upon, to think about, bringing before our minds and our hearts. And, and I got to say, like, we start to think to ourselves, how do we do this? Well, God's, God's word has to be one of the primary vehicles, and God's people is, is the secondary vehicle, I would say. The, God's word is his, literally his will for us, and so we should be meditating and bring our hearts before God's word all the time. But many of us say or feel that we're too busy to carve out time to meditate on God's word. And I, I feel that way. You feel that way. But we naturally and easily do what we love. You don't have to talk me into doing one of the hobbies that I enjoy and love. I, I just do it. I love it. I can't, I, you, you know, it's like try to stop me. But we find it difficult at times to, to, to go to God's word. Uh, you don't have to talk me to sit down and binge watch uh, uh, some uh, show that I love. And have you ever done the math on some of the stuff that we do this with and watch? Like, let's, let's call it seven seasons with 16 episodes and about an hour per season. Guys, that's like four and a half days. Four and a half days. And we do that. You don't have to talk us into that, right? When it's hot out and there's, you know, we literally live on the hottest part of the planet right now. And it's like, it's easy to do that. But we find it so hard to carve out a few minutes to meditate on God's word. And we shouldn't be surprised, I guess, that God's way of life is not what is being set before us. And I swear to you, this is not meant to be a guilt trip, that I am bound up with this just as much as you but it's a call, it's a way out. If we want to set our hearts and minds on Jesus's way of life, we have to open God's word and meditate on it. What do we do? How do we, how do we make progress like this? Well, we gotta think about what you think about. You have to ponder, what am I thinking about? What am I bringing before my heart? What is a theme in your heart and your mind right now? When it's just you in the car and your thoughts before you fall asleep. What, what is on your heart and your mind right now? Are, are you nursing anger or revenge? Are you meditating on lust or greed? Are you meditating on disappointment or some heartache? And where is that taking you? And we all do this, right? We, we bring things before us that we're frustrated with or that we're passionate about or that we, we just can't get over. And these things, they come to us easily in our hearts and our minds. And, and what we think about today, we are becoming tomorrow. And it may not, it's not going to be literally tomorrow, right? But imagine if you nursed anger for 3,000 days, about nine and a half years. Don't you think you become an angry person? And it's not hard to do. If some horrible thing has happened to you in life, like it's very easy to nurse anger for a decade. 
but don't you know that is taking you somewhere? Why am I so angry? What is true? What is good? What is just? What has Jesus done for me? Think about what you think about. Think about what is influencing your thinking. What are you reading? What are you watching? Uh, listen, I'm not a prude. That's, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not anti-culture. That's not, but what, what is influencing you? What are you listening to? What podcast? What, what voice is pushing you in your ideology, in your, your worldview? Is who I'm listening to angry and divisive and bitter and fearful? Then you shouldn't be shocked if you're angry and bitter and fearful. Are these influences leading me to love or fear? Are they leading me to trust God and to love my neighbor more or to lean more into fear? What do I love? This passage leaves none of us unscathed and not the least of which is, is me. The gospel, thank God, is good news for sinners of which I am foremost. I don't deserve his mercy and his grace. And yet I am the recipient of God's kindness to me in Jesus Christ. And so are you. I love myself so much more than I love God and, and my neighbor. And that's the truth. And it's true of you as well. And yet in God's kindness, he has named me his son and you his son or daughter. And he loves me so much, he doesn't just leave me in my selfishness and my selfish desires. He's calling me on a path upward, out. Out of my selfishness, out of my selfish desires. He's calling me and you to live into our new identity as the sons and the daughters of God. To reflect his beauty, his glory, and his character. The good news is that Jesus doesn't leave us here in our selfishness his kingdom is a kingdom of justice and love and righteousness and equity, truth, goodness, and mercy. And he's calling us into that life. We get to live that life. But what are you setting your hearts and your minds on? What are you setting your heart and your mind on? That is the direction. It's often setting the direction of our life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this challenging word from our brother Paul and, and a word that we need to hear, Father, in a time and an era where we're so much more given over to our own pleasure than we are trying to persevere in, in, in goodness and in what is right. Father, would you strengthen us and enable us to, to think about what is set before our hearts and our minds? to have a good understanding and knowledge of what we're meditating on, what we're savoring, what, what we find beautiful. Or, or maybe it's not the beautiful. We've given our hearts over to anger or lust or, or greed or bitterness. Father, free us, we pray. We beg you, Lord, by your goodness and by your grace, we ask in Jesus' name, amen.